looking today in Ephesians 6 at the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Let me read again Ephesians 6 to you so we pick up where we're going. This is where chapter 6 should start, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God. It's God's armor which he gives to us. So that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. You know, some days are particularly tough. Yeah? In your toughest day, in your hardest trial, you will still stand if you've taken up the armor of God. And having prepared everything to take your stand, Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor, breastplate on your chest, your feet shod with readiness for the gospel of peace. Here's the verse we're looking at today. And in every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish all the fiery, flaming arrows of the evil one. I'm quoting the King James from memory, the fiery darts. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And the thing I was hesitating about because I couldn't quite remember it a moment or two ago is this. We are praying tonight here at 6.30. And I feel, as, as the pastor and leader, that, that there are many things we need to be praying for. Much that we need to pray to God for. So, so we are praying here for an hour at 6.30 tonight again. Some people come faithfully pretty much every week to help us in that. And praying tomorrow night? Yes. Ladies group praying tomorrow night. Prayer happens in small groups as well. Yes. So we've dealt with three out of the seven things listed here as the armor of God. We come today to the middle of the series, and it's about a shield. A shield. In those days, there were two sizes, a long oval one, which is one of those, or, uh, or it could be oval or rectangular, or a small round one. And in the Old Testament, there are two Hebrew words for them. The large shield is the large shield, and the small one in the Old King James is called the buckler. It's a small, round shield. If you stood with a large shield in front of you, uh, and, and you did it with other soldiers alongside you, you could move to forwards against the enemy, against enemy arrows and even javelins. Uh, but the small one was used for hand-to-hand combat, sword in one hand, shield in the other. And the image that Paul is presenting here is of the big shield because it stops all the fiery arrows. Yeah? The shield will protect the whole body. If you add a helmet, you know, and you've got a shield you can crouch down behind, so it's almost touching the ground, and you're crouching little, the shield is this tall, with a helmet on top, you, they can only shoot at your eyes. You know? And... The whole soldier protected. And soldiers in old days treasured their shield. You could lose a weapon, but if you lost your shield, you, you, were, you were vulnerable. The chance of survival was diminished. Leather on wood shields were oiled, so they were supple, and that they, things could thud and stick and not harm you. Metal shields were often polished until they shone, because then you could use them like mirrors at the enemy and dazzle them. In both cases, blows that would have been fatal were not, because they were struck away. Carol, a while ago, bought me a book, 
uh, things from birthday about uh, the Templars and what was then called Outremer. You've never heard that word, have you? That's the, that's the word that Palestine was known by when the, when the Crusaders ran it as, as Christian states, Crusader states in the 1200s and 1300s before, the, before Saladin kicked them out again. They called it Outremer, the Outland. And one account of a battle there in, 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 in Outramer is that the, the, uh, the, uh, the Crusader knights were, wearing, were carrying big leather-covered shields, and they also put on big, thick, high leather aprons as well, like coats. And at the end of this battle, they could be seen walking back to their fort with st- arrows sticking out all, from all over their hide coats and all over their shields, you know. But they, were hot. they weren't particularly armed. <clears throat> There's also this to tell you as well. This is from a Greek uh, uh, historian. Besides its primary function as a protective shield, the shield also has symbolic meaning. The Spartan mother. How many of you have seen the film 300? It's about the Spartans. That's quite a good movie, actually. Had warned her son to venture to return either with your shield or on it. Spartan shields were big enough that you could lay the corpse on, on the top and carry them back home. And if a soldier there returned home alive without a shield, it meant he'd dropped his shield and run away, so he was a coward. And in Spartan and Roman uh, warfare too, they, uh, they would join their shields together, form like, a, like a, 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 an armadillo or, or a, a tortoise shape, and they would move up to a defended city, protected under their shields, rocks and stones bouncing off them. Arrow after arrow might thunder the shields, but the men moved to, together, shield on every side. And even those smaller shields, and these are not Roman shields, they're far too crude to be Roman shields. Even look at those arrows sticking out of them. They're, you know, joined together. Even a small shield is better than having, you know, one man with one shield or none at all. So faith as a shield is something we can do together as well as individually. We can be praying and supporting one another. When one's weak, one is a little stronger in faith and can help them. That's about the shield. Now let's think about faith. Oh no, we've got to think about fiery arrows. That's right. (laughs) Fiery arrows. Fiery arrows. Please notice the enemy is firing fiery arrows at us. If we imagine that we are every day of our lives in hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face with the devil, you, 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 you think too much of yourself. When John writes to young men in 1 John 2 and twice says, uh, you've overcome the evil man, he doesn't mean in personal combat like like mano mano. He says it means we're overcoming the enemy's attacks against us. Satan here is pictured as standing at a distance firing arrows. You can't see him. You you don't even see the arrows coming, but you know when they're, they're right there. Don't imagine you can see him firing them. You only know when they arrive. They arrive quickly, without warning, and they're intended to wound you, if not kill you. That's what's illustrated for us here. And actually, in this whole passage, it hardly talks about us fighting until you get to the sword of spirit, which is used both for defense and attack. These other issues of armor are all defensive. They're refusing and resisting an attack. It is not in our power as Christians to do the devil lasting harm. That's Jesus' authority. He's already condemned, and one day he will, he will have execution of his sentence. Jesus is in charge of that. 
The whole language of scripture here in this passage isn't really fight, it's stand. Yes. Stand. stand. Do not give way. Resist. Refuse. Mm. Yep. Uh, let me say something else to you. It's good for us to reason with ourselves, as the psalmist does. Why are you disquieted, my soul? What's the matter with you? Why are you fed up today? Why are you untrusting in God? It's good to reason with yourselves and argue against your doubts and fears with the Word of God, but nowhere in Scripture are we told to try to argue or reason with the devil. It doesn't say that. It says resist him. Refuse him. Don't try to refute him. When, Je- when Jesus was dealing with Satan in the wilderness, Jesus answered his temptations with one Scripture. And the next one, with one scripture. As if to say, I'm standing on this and I'm obeying my father. So that's the end of the matter. He didn't argue with her. Just, it's like one hand up, you know, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. It's like, no, 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 that's why. I'm standing on what my father says. So don't think you can outsmart the devil. He's a better theologian than any of us. He knows the Bible backwards, and that's the problem. That's the problem. He uses it backwards. He spins it around. He's a smarter individual because he is by that by creation. God, the angels are higher than men. We are a little lower than the angels. They are. They are. They are powerful. They are smart. This is what Scripture reminds us we should do: stand firm, resist. We read it earlier. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. James 4, verse 7, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say fight him. See how, see how, how, see how long you can slug it out? No, just, just stand. Resist. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. 1 Peter 5, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary of the devil's prowling lamb, roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Don't knuckle down and say, I'm going to have a long fight here. This is going to be a real hard struggle. The way we think about these things really affects the way we handle them. It says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So now, what are those arrows? Well, we could think, oh, I, I can imagine those arrows are like this, and I think they're like that. Let me, you've heard me say before, many of you, that there's currency in Scripture. A word or a phrase starts way, way back, and you've got to pick it up from there, and you find out what that word means. Jesus, when he talks about things like the gates of Hades, didn't invent a new phrase. It's there in the Old Testament. If you find the Hebrew word rather than the Greek word Hebrews, you can track it through. So there's a currency in Scripture for flaming arrows, and this is it. They are to do with deception and accusation and lies. They are words that are pushed to you, that are intended to harm you. Here's it is Psalm 11, verse 2. Look, the wicked string the bow. They put the arrow on the bowstring to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Psalm 64, verse 3. Who sharpen their tongues like swords and aim bitter words like arrows. Proverbs 25, a man giving false testimony, lying against his neighbor, is like a club, a sword, or a sharp arrow. These are words, ideas, thoughts that are thrown at you. I like this one, Psalm 26. By the way, all of this is in recent Bible reading notes, you know, through the year. These these are all come from recent notes. 
Like a madman who throws, throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. Tell lies that cause some hurt, some damage. And, oh, it's only joking. No, you're a madman who throws deadly arrows. Jeremiah says, their tongues are deadly arrows. They speak deception. Do you get the currency of this phrase now? It's someone speaking against you. Someone accusing you. Someone condemning you. Someone challenging you. Someone trying to hurt you. By the way, God has arrows too. And uh, there is judgments in life. And there's a nice scripture again in the daily reading the other day in Psalm 120. That God rewards the deceitful one with his warrior sharp arrows and charcoal. You know, God pays back the person who's firing arrows at someone else with his arrows. <laughs> you know? Sometimes arrows were literally on fire. They were dipped in pitch, fire through the air. They blazed through the air. And when they struck, they were intended to burn. Others, in other societies, were dipped in snake venom. So when the, after the arrow hit you, it only had to graze you because then you were infected, you got the venom and you were going to die an agonizing death. And every arrow that the enemy fires against the Christian carries this one basic poison, deception. He's lying to you. The very thought that any creature can reject and rebel against the Almighty is ridiculous. Yet that is what the devil did, what he worked to have Adam and Eve do, what he works today to have men and women do now again. Rebel against the Almighty. What? You run that again? Rebel against the Almighty? That is crazy. What creature is going to defy the Creator? But that's the lie that gets pushed. It's ridiculous. All sin and rebellion is based on fundamental lies. So those fiery arrows are thoughts, ideas, images that are thrown at us each day in no particular order, as they say in those TV programs. <laughs> they are. Deception. You're being lied to. Doubts. Oh, you really? What? No. Doubts. Then the devil works with our desires, our natural desires, what are called appetites in the King James Version, they're called lusts, which isn't just about sexual appetite, it's about every human appetite. Every human appetite can be warped so that we, we, we disobey and dishonor God because we're fulfilling an appetite, including eating too much and drinking too much, or resting too much, being lazy. These are all human appetites that need to be under discipline of faith in God. Desires, denials, just the kind of no thought. You're thinking something through, you're trying to figure out what the Lord is telling you and, and just this, this no, 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 nagging no that comes along, denial. And the trouble is, if you begin to be trapped in these things, you're heading for despair, despondency, depression. Where even when someone's encouraging you, you just can't accept the thought that God is still good and intends to do you good. You've kind of given up on the idea. It's the way it is. It's never going to be any better. So you are in despair. Hope has gone. Now, for a Christian, when hope has gone, you are in the emergency ward. You are in the ICU. That's intensive care, by the way. 
You need real desperate help from wh whoever you can get it from. Go to a brother and sister say, I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, I need help. When you cannot believe that God will do you good, you've lost touch with his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, his truthfulness. You can't accept his, his word at face value as coming from a kind and honest and sincere father who loves you as his dear child. When you lost that, you need, you need help. These darts and arrows are thoughts, ideas, images, imaginations, suggestions that are thrown at us every day by the enemy, but generally through people, through the world. I want to suggest to you as well that Satan may have some new tools in our generation, TV, movies, internet, popular music, social media, but he has no new tricks. He's using the same lies, but he's got more ways of spreading them. Every one of those things can be used for good, but they also can be used for evil. When they invented the printing press, that's what happened. The printing press was in, you know, was, wasn't invented by the Europeans, really. The Chinese had it long before we did. But when it was started to be used in Europe, I'm told by you know, those who know history, it was used principally for three things. For printing the Bible, for printing politics, and for printing pornography. Almost very quickly, it's like, you know, it, 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 gets, it gets used by men. What we use as men gets used for what men want, people want. No new tools, but there are, sorry, there are new tools, but no new tricks. And if you look at how Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, how Satan came to tempt Jesus, but failed because Jesus overcame him, you see the things that he appeals to you'll find the same three things. The main things are these. Appeal to human appetites. Well, you're hungry, aren't you? Kind of Jesus. Aren't you hungry? You want, you want some bread? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Appeal to human appetite. Appeal to pride. If you do this, everybody will know. Everybody will see you. You'll be famous. Oh, the TV programs. I, I don't watch them anymore. But, you know, so-and-so's got to go through into this context, contest rather, because it means the world to them. You've got to look at them and listen to them and think, I'm so sorry that this means the world to you because you don't have a hope. <laughs> but they set their heart on being famous through singing when they can't hold a tune. The human appetite of pride is extraordinary because it leads us to being stupid. Really. It blinds us to common sense. And then the third one isn't even about us, it's about God. The devil will impugn, denigrate, attack God. He'll attack his character. No, he's not really like that. No, he's not as good as you think. Or his word. Well, you can't trust what he says. I mean, you know, these people wrote this. And attack upon God, his character, and his word. And those are the three main tricks that he's been doing since the Garden of Eden. They just come to us in different forms and in different ways, whether visually, images, music, or whatever else. So our battle as Christians is the fight of faith, and the battleground is primarily in our minds. We are dealing with thoughts. We're not dealing with, you know, uh, uh, just, just some, something weird that happens on the way, you know, to work today, you know, there could be an incident, there could be a crisis, there could be, you know, all sorts of things. But generally what happens, the attacks of the devil are these subtle things that are happening in our minds. 
And what we're looking at today is part of the how to answer and overcome that battle. <coughs> the part will come in a week or two when we look at the helmet of salvation. Actually, truthfully, that might even be after Christmas because Colin's preaching next week. We're not having a Sunday morning on the 16th or 23rd. We need to be Christmassy on the 23rd. So probably after January. So I'm going to give you half an answer until January at this rate. These thoughts come. Now, arrows fly with little sound. I mean, you know, like they say, the, the, the bullet you don't hear is the one that gets you. If you can hear it, it's passing you over here. But you don't hear the one that gets you here. Okay? So the same with arrows. There's no warning. They just come. A thought launches itself into your mind. Now, when we look at the helmet of salvation, we're going to address a bit of what the world talks about nowadays, mindfulness. There's something in what they talk about mindfulness. We're not buying into the old meditating issue thing. But there's something in it. One of the things they say in this training on mindfulness, you mustn't, you mustn't accept every thought that comes into your mind. Some of it's crazy stuff. Now, as Christians, we, we really need to know that. Not every thought that comes into your mind is good or comes from God or comes even from you. There are thoughts that are being launched at you by the world and by media and whatever. You have to deal with them. You have to say, that is a bad thought. That is a horrid thought. And condemn it. Away with that one. I'm not having that. You've got to discipline your mind to say, this is not a thought I'm going to entertain. I'm not going to sit and rummage over that one. No, thank you. They're no less deadly for coming silently, like a whisper. Little, little thought trickling through your mind. They're no less deadly for being quiet. You can't stop those thoughts, those arrows coming, but you can stop them wounding. The old preacher Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s said, talking about this thing, these, these, these thoughts and things the devil attacks us with. And his illustration being a bearded Victorian gentleman, you can't stop the birds flying around your head, but you can stop them nesting in your beard. Yeah? Thoughts come. Own your territory and say no to the thought. Condemn it. That's what a shield does. The projectile or blow is... To, I, I, kind of, I kind of like this picture and don't at the same time. It's a bit... <laughs> it's a bit kind of war game looking, you know, like something from a video game, but, uh, which I haven't played one in many, many, many years. It's pretty dramatic, isn't it? All the fiery darts are being thrown to the ground because the guy's holding up his shield. The shield of faith defends us. So are we on track here? In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. So we talked about a shield, we talked about flaming arrows. Now there's one more thing I need to talk about, isn't there? F-A-I-T-H, faith. Faith. In every situation, take hold of faith. Put it in front of you. Condemn the fiery arrows. Faith is used in Scripture and among Christians to mean two things. Actually, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, is very good on this. We mean, on the one hand, what we believe. The truth, the gospel, the Scriptures. So Christianity is called a faith, or the faith. It has, a cre- it has creed, it has, it has content. There's things we believe together. Yeah? 
I could, we could look at the Apostles' Creed and say, yeah, we believe these things. This is what we Christians believe. So that's what we believe, our faith. But then behind the what, behind the words of Scripture even, is who we believe. I believe the Bible not because it's the Bible, but because the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah. It's His Word. Yeah. Who we believe. Faith is relationship between a creature and their creator. We experience the God of the Bible for ourselves. We seek him, we trust him, we obey him, we walk with him. That's summed up in the scripture repeated in the scripture a couple of times. The just, the righteous, the justified ones will live by faith. That's not just how you come to faith, that's how you live the rest of your life. By living in faith, in relationship with God. A relationship that prays to him, that seeks answers from him, that that gets instructions from him, that trusts him, that obeys him, that puts him first. That is faith. In fact, Artie Kendall, (laughs) I'm looking for the reaction from from McDonald, who's used to work with Artie Kendall. Artie Kendall's definition of faith is simply this, I believe God. That's how he defines it. Faith equals I believe God. Now you can see both of those things working in the scripture. Now without faith, this is a negative way around. You have to kind of read it positively to get the hit. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. All right, so turn that around. Faith believes that God exists. Faith believes another fact, that it rewards those who seek him. So what does faith do? It draws near to him and seeks him and is therefore rewarded. Yeah? Faith has things it believes which are facts, which are truth, and then faith acts upon those and is obedient and is rewarded. Amen. That's what it is. The person that the New Testament often refers back to as an example of the life of faith is Abraham. So let's go there. Genesis 15, verse 1. After those events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, before he got, became Abraham, Abraham, in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Though actually the older version is this, I am your very great reward. I am your shield and I am your reward. Now we're touching something here. Shield of faith isn't actually just our faith. It's our faith in God who is our shield. I am your shield. God himself is our shield. From this place in Genesis, you can track the same thought through a number of scripture many times in the Old Testament. Uh, This God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Another place God is called, called a strong tower. Like, you know, a village would have a tower. And if the enemies came, they'd run into the tower, shut the door, and they'd go up the tower and throw rocks down on them. You know, but it, God is our refuge, our stronghold, our strong tower, our shield. We hide ourselves behind him. And we do that by declaring that this is what he says, that this is his character, this is what we believe. I believe this and I believe him. I believe God and his word. People have often prayed, you know, I've had people pray for me before now, for a hedge of protection. You ever heard that prayer? A hedge of protection. 
one, uh, one Christian uh, comedian said, I'd rather have a concrete wall, thank you, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, people would pray for a hedge of protection. It comes from, jo- from Job. It's actually in the scripture where Satan is accusing God of doing that to Job. You put a hedge of protection around him, I can't get at him. The biblical image for us of our protection is not a hedge of protection, but God is our shield. God is our wall. He encloses us by his power, by his authority, by his kindness. The Lord himself is the shield of those who trust in him. The shield of faith is not the use of faith in itself, but faith in God. Not just faith in itself. Faith in God. In the same way that the righteousness as a breastplate is not about, firstly, about how well we're behaving, whether we're being righteous people, but that we have received the righteousness of Christ, the gift of righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness put upon us. That's the breastplate of righteousness. We can then work out through the help and aid of the Holy Spirit how to live more uprightly because we're already counted upright. Faith trusts God to be our shield, depending on his character and his word. Every piece of armor that we've been looking at in this passage is really about God. God's truth, like a belt, are on their waist. God's righteousness, through Christ, on our chest, like a breastplate. God's peace, God's gospel. That was last week. There's CDs, you want to catch it, notes as well. God's protection, like a shield to us. God's salvation like a helmet on our heads and therefore in our minds. God's word like a sword in our hands. It's about God. It's, we, I can't underline enough. It's the armor of G-O-D. It's the armor of God. It's about him. Who he is, what he promises us, what he does in us and, in us and for us. So faith here in shield of faith is short for saying faith in God. Now I have to say again to you that the way many people, especially in the Christian media, present faith is warped, it's twisted. It's a parody of what the Bible actually teaches. Faith is made the platform for TV ministers to Christian showbiz. And it's talked up as a trick by which you acquire wealth and possessions. It's spoken of as being a substance or a force. That's, by the way, to misuse entirely Hebrews 11.1 from the King James Version. The way people talk about faith is, to me, talking about magic. And we are Christians, folks, not Jedi. We don't put out the force. We don't put out our faith. That's magic talk. We trust in God. Faith is not a mechanism by which we obtain what we want. It's the relationship by which we participate in Christ Jesus and live in him and with him and for him. It's a relationship word. It's not a f- how you get what you want in life word. Listen to the Lord Jesus talking to his disciples. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. This is just not historical faith, believing that things happened in the past. There's not much credit in doing that because actually there's more, there's more evidence of Jesus having lived and died on the cross and risen from the dead than there is that Pontius, that, that, that Pontius Pilate who put in there existed. There's more literary evidence of Jesus than of Julius Caesar. Come on. 
So you don't get any credit for believing these are historical facts. And this is not temporary faith. And sadly, Jesus himself talked about this in the parable of the seed and the souls. Somebody can make a response to an appeal at a meeting or pray a prayer. We're having got to the end of reading a booklet and nothing much happens after that. It's a temporary faith. It's just a momentary, a day or so response, maybe. We're not talking about that here. By the way, this faith as a shield isn't even miraculous faith. I'll tell you why. Because Judas was a miracle worker before he became a traitor. It's not about miraculous faith. Not every miracle worker is a real Christian. Not every miracle is a real miracle of God. This is justifying, living, enduring, relating to God faith. Faith in God through Jesus' his Son. Faith in a King and a Savior. Faith in one who is our shield, our refuge, our defender, our strength. We don't do life without Him. We wouldn't dream of trying. He is our life. He supplies every bit of our being. To quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, you don't put out your faith. You put out God. You say, I'm trusting Him. I'm saying no to that suggestion because my faith is in God through yeah, Christ amen. and his word. You refuse to consider any thought that denigrates God that belittles him, any attitude or behavior that would cause you to dishonor him. You refuse it. You say, no, can't be. Because I stand as a Christian in all my weakness and all my frailty in God who is my strength yep. and my shield. You remember verse 10? You therefore be strong in the Lord and in his vast strength. I mean, God cannot run out of resources to supply you. He cannot run out of strength to stand. Our weakness is our trust to, for him to do it. That's our weakness. There's no weakness in God. He is strong enough to make you stand in the most evil day, your most difficult time. So we believe and act upon his word and not human philosophies. And then we do use the word of God as a sword of the spirit. But, and we wrestle in prayer, but we'll come to those. And just as the Spartans and Romans used their shields to defend and move as one company, we are to trust the Lord together for one another. Christianity has been indiv- too individualistic for many decades. Probably, I would say, going back to the time of the 1700s even. That, that part of the restoration of the gospel through the Reformation and on into the 16th, 1700s, was that the justified will live by faith was always a very personal message. It made a lot of personal Christians. But people didn't get it that God works in community too. That God calls us into family units where we, we fellowship together and strengthen one another and encourage one another and build one another up. And, and if I was to put another picture up in, I should have done, uh, to say the way that the enemy attacks us as a community of Christians is through Isolation, yeah, through division, disunity, dissension, through pride, people wanting to be something and be somebody. And, you know, yeah, we all have an opinion, but some people have to take responsibility to make decisions. That's what leaders have to do. They're not opposed to listening to people, but in the end they have to sum up and decide between the balance of opinions. Actually, have to do sometimes what they know God says is right, even though people aren't really voting with their feet for it. The enemy attacks the community of faith, the church. 
And what must the church do? Use our shields. Lock in together. And stand against the attack. And then when we get to the end of Ephesians 6 and these, these verse, verse 18, and pray for the Lord's answers, for the Lord's help, for the Lord's wisdom, how we overcome. Christianity is a corporate endeavor. We travel on and fight together. Not, we don't fight one another. Jude 20 tells us the way to build one another up in our most holy faith. And let me just say again to kind of, kind of finish off talking about faith. Faith is God-centered. It is not self-centered. I'm a wannabe. I'm a gimme, gimme, gimme. It is not self-centered. It is not even faith-centered. I heard people say, have faith in your faith. There's an old musical song, a music, music, musical theater song. There's a film later on. I forget where it came from. But it, it, the, so- the lyrics are, falling in love with love is falling for make-believe. Falling in love with love is playing the fool. You're not in love with the person, you're in love with being in love. That's stupid. And having faith in your faith, I would say, is just as ridiculous. Because you are having faith in how you feel about something at that moment in time. You need a stronger faith than that, my friend. You need to have faith in an unchanging God who will hear your prayers and answer you. Faith in God. Have faith in God. Jesus nowhere ever said faith in faith. He said have faith in God. Faith is God's sin. So another way of saying lift up the shield of faith would be this. I'm going the wrong way, sorry. You can't read it. Uh, Psalm 16 verse 8 says this, King James Version. I have set the Lord before me. Modern versions say I keep the Lord always in mind. It's the same thing. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand or on my right hand, I shall not be fooled. That's the language of shield. I set the Lord before me. And because he's on this arm, shielding me, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. That's a statement of faith. That's putting up the shield of faith. I am trusting God. Despite things that are coming at me and things that are upsetting me and and trials I'm going through, I'm right here in this situation still trusting God. And I'm looking to see his goodness, which will come. And by the way, a little thought that came to me the other day. You know, when God's goodness to you is delayed, in your opinion, it's because he's still perfecting it. He hasn't finished making it the size, the, the, the value, the the quality that it will be when it does arrive. Amen. We think an instant answer is the best answer. God's best answers are often the ones that are the most delayed from our point of view. God's best answers are often the ones we wait the most for. That, might, that may or may not encourage you. <laughs> Faith depends upon the truth. Oh, this is one from William Gurnall. I've been reading him a lot, you know, Christian Incomplete Tom. Faith sets God within the sight and hearing of the Christian. You're looking for him. You're listening for him. Faith is searching to, to see what God is doing, to hear what he wants to say. It sets the Lord before you. I'm not going to walk through life like this. 
I'm going to walk through life like this. Having set the Lord before me, keeping him always at the forefront. Faith depends upon truth. And this is where the image I put out the front there. I like that picture. Do you like that picture? That's cool. Look at that. Some dude in his baseball cap with his big Bible open. All the arrows are flying at him, but look what's in the shadow. That's what that man really is. He's a man of faith. He's trusting God. Those arrows are not going to hurt him because he's going to deny and refuse every one of them because of what he knows about God. Faith depends upon truth. We are born of God through his word. We must live in faith through his word. Uh, to paraphrase good old girl again, faith is weak when it misses its meals from the word. If you have little scripture input be- between one Sunday and another one, uh, you will be weak. Your weak will be weak. <laughs> but when you've read and memorized scripture, the Holy Spirit will bring truth back into your mind at the very moment you need to quench a troubling thought. An idea comes into your mind, you say no. Why no? Because this is what God says about that. This is what God says about that issue. Done. That's one arrow in the ground, rather than in me. It may help to speak it out loud. And I've said before, now, if you want to walk around praying out loud, just put an put a earphone in your ear, they'll think you're in your phone. You can walk around talking to God, and nobody will know if you've, got, if you've got a mobile phone to your ear or an earphone in. Say it out loud. No. No. It helps to say it out loud. Faith needs to have words to it very often. You need to say things out loud so that you strike, you strike hard against something to defeat it. Isn't that what Jesus did dealing with Satan in the wilderness? No, because. No, because. I like this as well from Gunnar. Faith accepts no report of God except from God's own mouth. God is who he tells me he is. Not who other people imagine him to be. You know, I've had conversations with people, you know. Oh, I imagine God to be like, and I said, well, that's your imagination. You're welcome to it. <laughs> but the only vehicle that's going to get me to heaven is God's truth. Yeah? I, don't, I don't say you to heaven. I make that personal, so just get the point. Faith accepts no report of God except from God's own mouth. Remember that one of the three major tricks, the three major things the devil does is to, is to pull God down, to malign him, to say something about his character. Let me just go back again to Genesis 3. We can eat of any tree in the garden except that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has said in the day you eat of that you will surely die. And, and, and Satan comes along. Did God say you will surely die? Don't you know if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him, you'll be like a god? In other words, subtly in there is God's holding out on you. He's not as good as he says he is. He's keeping the best from you. It's an attack upon the character of God. That kind of thought, I would venture to say, is very, very common in every Christian. And we don't realize it we think it's a thought in that that's come from our hearts. We think it's something we've got to take responsibility for and we've got to somehow knock out of ourselves because we've had this thought. You need to deal with the thought as a fiery, flaming arrow and tell it where to flaming well go. Amen. Excuse my strong language. But it helps to get tough about it sometimes. No! 
remember in my life when I've roared my nose. I felt such pressure mentally or in some other way that, that I, I have yelled my battle. I'm not ashamed to do it. You know, if we're going to get angry, do what Ephesians says. Be angry with sin. Get angry and stop sinning. That's what it's literally saying. Don't be angry, don't get sin in your anger. It's like get angry enough to deny something and, and deal with it and shove it down. Thoughts, you don't have to own them. You need to fight them. And you do it by saying, no, I believe this about God. I believe this about the truth. I believe this about Scripture. I believe this about sexual morality. I believe this about human relationships. I believe this about, about how we need to serve the poor. All sorts of things. You say, no, because this is what God says. And therefore, the stronger you are in the truth, the stronger you can be in faith. The promise here is that with faith in God and his word, we'll be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one in every situation. In every situation. Amen. And right now the devil's saying, but not that one. No, 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 no. Lie. You know? We need a big red buzzer that goes, uh-uh. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> not having it. Lie. <laughs> I'm serious. We need to develop these reactions in our minds, in our intellect, to say, no, uh-uh. I'm not having that one. We'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the earth. In every situation, there's no exclusion clause made here. It's true for every situation. Success or failure, health or sickness, plenty or penury. Know the truth, hold it up, confess whom you believe and what you believe from his word and you will see those fiery arrows fall to the ground rather than lodge in your head and in your heart. But if you're not prepared to start defending in this way, you're probably already being hit. And some of those thoughts have already caused damage to you. They're burning things that should have burned to cinders on the ground, falling down, are burning away within your soul. Take up the shield of faith. Set the Lord before you. Believe and act upon his word. Promises and instructions. By the way, we can't get out of faith being obedience. We do need to keep his commandments. The, sh- the, f- the way we show we love him is when we obey him. It may well be even now, while I've been preaching, that there's a battle going on. And you, all sorts of thoughts are being whispered to you. You have little faith. You're weak to resist. You might as well give up now. Here's a good response from the disciples. Lord, increase our faith. See, the devil will tell you that God despises weak people and people with weak faith. God does not despise you. He is a father who wants to strengthen you. He's a commander who wants to pick you up off off your knees and put you on your feet. We come to God as his children on the basis of his promises to ask boldly for more faith, for stronger faith in him. Not stronger faith so I can make this happen. Stronger faith so that I know you're in charge of me and you're doing good to me and you're going to lead me through life. Do not accept the the lie that the Lord doesn't want to hear and answer this prayer. Lord, increase our faith. But I'll go on again and say, do not be afraid to pray for faith. It's the prayer you most need to pray very often. Lord, I'm weak here. Strengthen me. You need to be praying that prayer. And it's the one you'll be most easily put off. 
Because the accusing thought is you're too weak even to pray for yourself. <laughs> Give up now. <clears throat> like God wants to strengthen our faith. It is pleasing to ask God to strengthen and increase our faith in him because when we trust him and obey him more, he is more glorified in us. His glory is more seen in us when we have found more strength and trust in him. Faith is the key to our joy. Interesting that when you look at scriptures that talk about joy, they talk about uh, faith and obedience as being the key to our joy, not our love. You, we, yes, we need to love the Lord. Yes, that's true. But nowhere is love made the key to our, fa- our, our joy. It's always faith and obedience that are the key to our joy. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. When you keep my commandments, then you'll we'll have joy. And when you, when you love me, you keep my commandments, you can pray for you know, whatever you want and, and, and God will hear Faith is the key to our joy and the Christian's joy is the joy of the Lord in us. As God joys over us in this relationship of we're trusting him and depending upon him, setting him before us, so his joy comes to us. The love of God is the love of God that's poured into us. The joy of God is the joy from God that is poured into us. The peace of God is God's own peace that is poured into us. They're not things we manufacture. They flow to us from heaven. If we want to pursue joy in life, and not merely passing pleasures, we need to pursue faith in God, and greater faith in God. Living comes out of believing. Belief speaks to and directs life. An atheist lives the way he lives because he, what, what he does chooses not to believe. He refuses to believe, so he lives in a certain way. But the righteous, the Christian, lives by faith. Every day of our lives. Every day, walking out, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a walk of faith. But we need to have a defensive stand against the thoughts and ideas and impressions and philosophies that are fired at us by people, by the world, by the devil, every day of our lives. And we don't realize how much it's there. I'll give you one example. I, I was in Zimbabwe years ago for 10 days, nearly two weeks, about 10, 11 days, when I landed back at Heathrow and I was in a car, I was like, the, the adverts, I felt like I was being shouted at. It was like, look at this, look at this, buy this, buy this, look, you need to know this. I was being shouted at. I didn't, I'd, I'd been away from, from TV, from radio, from newspapers, from, from, from billboard advertising for nearly two weeks and I didn't realise how much I'm being bombarded by ideas. As, as we are in this culture. And many of us are choosing to fill our heads and our hearts with even more of it because we're constantly on social media or we're constantly on the internet. We can't, not, we, we can't stop and be still. We've got to have more. We've got, you know, we, we got to have communication. We've got to, we've got to find something else out. We've got to buy something else again. There's a big sense in be still and know that I'm God. Every day of our lives, we need to live in faith. And being busy won't necessarily help you to grow stronger faith. Stopping and being still sometimes will, if you focus those times on God. We live a life that chooses to trust and obey the Lord, believing his word. Despite what the world says, despite what the devil says, and despite the accusations and condemnation and negative thoughts that come to you, the Holy Spirit will challenge you And he will correct you, but he will show you what to do. 
The devil will accuse you and tell you, you better just give up now. You're, you're through. He wants to wound you and kill you. But God is your shield. And your faith in him is, a, is the armor that we need to deal with life. Both individually and together as a local church. We've got more to look at. Helmet of salvation. Sword of the Spirit. Believing, believing and prevailing prayer. But we're gone past halfway through our list today. Let me pray for you. Let's, let's pray together. Let me stop here. Father. Father, your word leads us to understand that we live on a battlefield in a world that is contrary to us if we are people of Christian faith. And there is a battlefield, battleground within us too, in our minds, to control our thoughts. And I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen our faith so that we trust you and we trust your word and we counter every negative thought, every condemning thought, every enticement to do something that would dishonor you and disobey you as being a lie that needs to be thrown down to the ground. We do not want to entertain them. We do not want to even spend ages reasoning against them. We simply want to refuse them and resist them. Because we know what is real. We know that you are true. We know that you are faithful. And you are good. And you have promised us to take us through this life to our eternal reward as we trust you and follow you and obey you. Lord Jesus, strengthen us in the fight, we pray. Help us to be wise about how much we allow things around us to come close to us. How much of the world we allow into our homes, into our phones. When really, Lord, we, we, are, we all day long are dealing with attack against us. We pray too, Lord, that you'll open our hearts towards one another to strengthen one another in this fight of faith. To recognize when someone is down and obviously they've been put into a state of somewhat despondency, maybe even despair. We, we want to be quick to strengthen them, to say, come, come, come with me. We're, we're going to pray for you. We're going to give you some scripture again. I want, want you to understand this all over again, that God loves you and God's for you. We want to be those who will not readily see someone around us fail and fall without giving our very best efforts to hold them up in faith. Lord Jesus, give grace to us personally, in our households, in our church together, so that we might truly glorify you. Live believing, obedient lives, and know that from heaven, day by day, those moments of your joy, your peace, your love, touching our hearts, strengthening our beings. We want to hear not just in the final day, but even along the way, those occasional well-dones. 
the approval of God. we dealing with the condemnation of the devil so much of the time. But, oh, Lord, to, to find just for a moment the glow of your face, the approval of God, the smile of God touching our heart. Father in heaven, hear our prayer, we pray. Now let me just make this comment to anyone here who is not yet a Christian. I may have made being a Christian sound pretty hard today. Well, it is because you're living contrary to the way the rest of the world lives, that's why. But if you want to know God through Jesus, all you have to do is pray to him right now. Simple prayer, whatever you like. And he's ready to hear you and begin to respond to you and to change your life. It's a journey, but it can begin. The journey can begin with this first step now to say, Lord Jesus, please accept me and please begin to lead me and teach me what it is to be a follower of Jesus and to form in me a new way of life. Please, God, hear my prayer. That'd do for a prayer, that'd be fine. Father, we commend ourselves to you now as we break bread together and thank you. But again, in bread and wine, we remember that every good gift comes to you, to us from you, but does it through the cross, really. Because that's where the atonement was made. That's where you made reconciliation with us rebels. That is where forgiveness of our sins was bought and paid for. That is where every grace from God was opened up, like opening up the uh, floodgate from heaven. Your life, your light floods into us now because it was opened for us at the cross of Jesus in his sacrificial death. We celebrate it and remember it again. And thank you for Jesus. Amen. Amen.